0: Thanks. Appreciate that a lot. Elliot, if you're not watching online and we watch later, man, I miss you. I hope you're doing well. Um, Whenever you go somewhere else, you're always taught, like, you know, who are you and why are you here? Um, I'm here because my friend Bob asked, but I'm also here to say thank you. Um, Many of you, I have deep and long-standing connections with because of our time at Central Christian School. Um, Seeing Libby come in today and um, I I knew her husband Travis when he was a young man and just came and hung out with our youth group and spent time with them and I was at your wedding at the beach in that beautiful September and we've got to be coming up on close to 10 years now, is that right? 12 years this September. Okay, so there you go. See, and we can always add on those extra two years that we kind of got robbed, right? <laughs> Golly. No, it's really good to be here with you all. Um, and, and I do want to say thank you. One of the things that I talked to our board about as we, I don't want say, sized each other up and decided how, if we are going to work together, how that was going to look. One of the things that I outlayed, outlined for the board was I really would like, I don't want to go and insert myself into pulpits everywhere, but I would certainly uh, welcome any invitation uh, to be a part of our churches that support Central through the corporation and um, have sent us students so seeing the Zooks and others here that have sent students and Liz who's an alumni and and just seeing so many others that have um, a depth of background in my my years there at central I'm honored to be in the position I'm at to be one of the lead servants of the school and uh, I think in any time you accept a a responsibility and leadership, you realize just how inadequate you are and indeed I am, Um, but deeply grateful because people like Bob Troyer and others teach in our classrooms and serve in our school and Darren Nisley's that are corporation chairs and, and oversee to make sure that Central is this place that is grounded in the faith of Jesus, and everything that we do uh, is in the midst of trying to find ways to teach children how to live their lives and inspire them to do so in following Jesus. So I'm here to say thank you. I'm here to say thank you that you are a part of that journey and one of the furthest away mileage-wise, so respecting the fact that Jacob and Maddie and Andrew and Benjamin and others have spent long hours in car um, and other sharing rides and helping bring students back and forth for a number of years to make sure they had the opportunity to learn and grow at Central. We're grateful for your sacrifice and your investment in Central. One of the things that Uh, has been impactful to me just these last several months is glancing back a little bit into childhood and things that remind me now of things I didn't really know then, but those seeds that were planted. The gospel writer Luke mentioned that Jesus was being carefully watched, and I watched carefully these young people carefully watching Darren as he taught them a story about bees and the kingdom of Jesus. And I remember these stories because, and I think about them carefully watching these and how they don't understand the depth of the richness of being a part of this loving community that Darren talked about, this community of faith that we live out this pursuit of Jesus Together, I had that opportunity. I wasn't raised uh, in a Mennonite church. I was introduced to Anabaptist teaching in college, and accepted those uh, teachings as as the way, as the as the stream of Christianity that I wanted to be a part of in my adulthood. Um, but my childhood was very similar to those of the children that sat attentively this morning. I might have been like the one that climbed in behind the cabinets. Um, and and needed the direction to come on back out and participate together. That was me. But one of the things about being Nate Holton was I was raised in a family uh, that loved Jesus. My grandfather was uh, drafted in World War II, and while he was away, and my grandmother worked in a an air an air an air, airplane yard, um, helping supply air, airplanes in uh, Central Ohio. Um, she came across a preacher that taught her about Jesus. And she wrote letters that I still have some of these to my grandfather in Germany of how she came to faith in Christ. And I read letters of my grandfather back rejecting and questioning that faith. And there is the story of when he returned home from Germany, the first thing that he did before he even started the family of which my mother was the fourth of four children, he began to debate and go back and forth with this preacher about the realities of life and rejection of faith. And as is often the case when people examine the ways of Jesus and look into the Bible, um, he began to find the promises that God made in the Old Testament being fulfilled in the stories of Jesus that this way of Jesus was indeed the way to live. And he was baptized into Christ shortly before my mother was born. That's been my heritage and my history, and I cherish seeing that playing out here at First Mennonite in Canton, Ohio, that these children are carefully watching us, I think with a different spirit than the Pharisees of Luke chapter 14, uh, but certainly with an intensity. That may not be understood completely now, but will one day bear fruit. My grandmother's name was Edith. Edith Lenore Williams. And she said, Nathan, I just want to be a blessing. That's all I want for my life is to be a blessing to other people. I heard her tell my cousins Michael and Wendy and Craig and Tiffany and Kimberly and my brother Benjamin and my sister Bethany I remember hearing my grandmother say this many times as I was growing up. and my first memory of hearing it, uh, probably around the age of three or four, I didn't have a clue what she meant, and I didn't know what a blessing was. But I could tell that it was a good thing. And I could tell that it was a Christian thing. But beyond that, I was caught in a childhood mystery of faith that I have only more discovered now. Has anybody ever been there? Those things that recall you back and say, ah, that was a seed that was sown so many years ago and I had no idea. But I knew then how rich it was and how powerful it was. And as I grew older, this notion of the word blessing, this notion of blessing began to take on helpful contours and it became a little bit more understandable blessing was something that Jesus, that God, that the Holy Spirit did on a regular basis to good little boys and good little girls. We had to mind our elders. We had to work hard in school. We needed to share our toys. We needed to learn to pray really hard for our families and for others and for those who were hurting and sick. And we had to learn to pray for ourselves. And if we did those things, then we would receive whatever we asked for. That was a blessing to me as a young child. That only worked for a time, though, because life became more complicated. And I learned in Sunday school one morning that sometimes the answer from God was a no rather than a yes. Or as oftentimes it can be, God remained quite silent. And that was confounding as we drink a little bit deeper of the vastness of an omnipotent, all-powerful God. But this too began to make a little bit more sense over time because I could on occasion ask for more than was realistic or reasonable. Have you ever been there before, right? I, I remember praying for a helicopter. I lived in Marysville, Ohio, a pretty rural area. Most helicopters you saw were when you went to Columbus. And my dad was a teacher, a public school teacher, and my mom was a part-time beautician. For whatever reason, that wasn't enough income to buy that helicopter I so desperately wanted. I remember uh, maybe the president who I thought was all-powerful, but not to be confused with God, that if we prayed really hard that the president could simply just end hunger and poverty and and stop all these bad drugs from coming into our neighborhoods and that our world would be better, or maybe he could make an executive decision or, or some sort of executive action that would end racism in America forever. Blessings became more complex, more elusive. More special as I grew into young adulthood, I became aware of the high demand my grandmother was placing on her life and her witness. And I learned really quickly that being a blessing was not easy. But trying to jumpstart it by scurrying into spaces and places that we think will shower us with blessings or display the blessings that we have received or perceive that we have received is much easier. And all of those cases, the deep theological meaning of blessing is lost as Jesus is doing more and more than giving a biblical world manner of just a biblical world manners lesson. Jesus was highlighting a way in which the realm And reign of God is established over its own social and spiritual order. I remember hearing the lesson, those who are last will be first and those who are first would be last. And in classic Nate Holton fashion, I would compete with my friend Jacob to be the very last one to grab the plate at the potluck. Thinking that if we're last going to be first. Confusing that teaching, um, I learned really quickly that if you wait too long, the Kentucky Fried Chicken that was at the table to be served only goes to the first 15 or 20 people that go through line. So I remember being a 12-year-old that made sure I wasn't last anymore. I'll be first if first meant KFC. And whatever being last in this kingdom Jesus talked about, I'll deal with that because that chicken was finger-licking good. (laughs) But thanks be to God for a person like Tom Griffin, an elder at our church, a gentle man who said, I'm going to take Nate and Jacob and some of these others that are trying to confuse the first and the last and I'm going to wait with them at the end of the line. And we're going to talk about what being a servant is like. What sharing a meal with people is like. As helpful background in my life, I want to talk a little bit about the helpful background in Luke's story of Jesus. This passage relies on at least, at least a little bit of knowledge of Palestinian wedding feasts. At those feasts... Um, I'm sorry, back then, women, you were a part of just making sure the food was made. The participation in the meal was a male-only event. These feasts, male guests would recline on couches, not like what we have now, but what they would consider to be couches. They would recline in a manner that kind of propped everybody up in little sections. And the center couch was the couch that was the place of honor that center couch inhabitants were chosen by a lot of factors that sadly, we still do the same thing today. We just find clever ways of disguising them. But the center couch inhabitants during those days were chosen according to your wealth, your power, your influence, or some sort of office which was often influential in the community that you lived or the community to which you came from. And if a more prominent man would arrive late, as was often the case, uh, because the cool people didn't arrive until a little bit after the meal, someone of lesser rank would be asked to move to a less prestigious location. Somebody like myself, I can imagine reclining at a table. Um, Being a place early is important, and so I know that I would have probably been somewhere early and would have been devastated to have to have moved down in rank. Um, But that was the dynamics of those early Palestinian meals. So Jesus was offering some sound and practical advice to his audience about choosing a lower place so that if you do, really the only way you can go is up. But I think we all know that Jesus was also pointing to something deeper and richer the realm of God, Jesus' display of this inbreaking kingdom of God, Yahweh's desire for humankind to share in all of the bounty and be be just amazed at the inclusive nature of that. This realm of God that was coming in Jesus is about how God was offering an invitation in our lives to receive a genuine blessing. And when we learn that it is crassly unfaithful to store up spiritual brownie points, to note our goodness and then make it worse by this ostentatious display of goodness, it's Nate working so hard to compete with Jacob that I am going to be the last one to eat. And I'm going to get the last of those carrots and the last of that celery. Shaking out the dust, right? Those little crumbly pieces of KFC. They were like badges of honor to me. And so a little bit more of my selfish nature took over. What about the nuts and bolts of these seemingly mundane meals? Those, I mean, countless potlucks in churches over the years that have been a part of my life. But the countless table meals that I've shared with my family over 40 some years of life. Jesus inverted the traditional etiquette of banquet feasts. He elevated the lowest to the new royal welcome in the kingdom. And he urged those that were trying to socially climb to be the lowliest on the chance that they might be invited higher up. Jesus' healing and practice of table fellowship became metaphors of this kingdom that Jesus was bringing where everyone will come and everyone can eat. And I think it's really important that we hear that word, everyone. One of the things that we struggle so much with as human beings is segmenting ourselves out and using so many different factors to do so. While God continues... through Jesus Christ to say, no, my desire all along has been for everyone to share at this feast. If there aren't enough chairs at the table, build a bigger table. All right, so how does this get played out? What are the nuts and bolts of this seemingly mundane meal? What are, what are the nuts and the bolts of your table fellowship in your homes, in your communities? How do we actively practice this kind of hospitality hospitality and fellowship.
1: When the community acts
0: to establish fellowship, it witnesses to God's fellowship established in Jesus. We're rooted in this. The Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the Eucharist, is a reminder that churches with practice, since Jesus met with his disciples, it it was a, a renewal of those Feast of Unleavened Bread and those Passover meals, those those symbolic meals that said God is with us and God desires for all of us to have his bounty. And when the community acts to establish that kind of fellowship, it witnesses to God's fellowship that was established in Jesus, both between the whole world and God, but also then what God's desire is for all of us as human beings. Jesus joined with humankind God established this fellowship between all of us and Jesus. And Jesus called this community to bear witness to this great fellowship between God and humanity by establishing fellowship between all human beings. I'd like to propose three dimensions about how we can do that. It's not always easy. But I'd like to unpack a little bit of this for us practically to say this, this meal that, that seemingly was significant to Jesus, he was being carefully watched, but he was carefully watching how everyone behaved in meals. And he's trying to say, I think that the church, the people that are going to follow me, are going to practice things a little bit differently. And in so doing, they're going to, in these seemingly mundane moments, these seemingly routine things, because we eat every day. If we start practicing these type of radical practices, we might find a way to rediscover this kingdom breaking into our communities. How do we do this? As the community reaches out to all nations, we offer unity among people that overcomes our national, our ethnic, our linguistic barriers in our world. We set aside all of our class distinctions in society. Number two, in its attitude towards these social, economic, and racial differences, the community, the church, refuses to accept the legitimacy or the necessity of dividing up our communities by differences that we we would resist with love and grace and peace, but we would resist the temptation to continue to segment our societies based on these social and economic and racial and ethnic differences. The third thing is the ministry, the serving nature of the church, of the people of Jesus, bring different people together to overcome those cultural differences. One of the things that I'm really proud about at Central and I'm really proud about with our churches that share in fellowship is our desire to reach into our communities and not allow the things that divide us to penetrate and push us apart. But our deep desire as we practice our faith faith together, It, it can be at a meal, it can be at a table, but hospitality and fellowship become the most central part to our community's ministry. Hospitality and fellowship represent these more challenging and great grace-filled acts of being a blessing rather than seeking to be blessed. Theologically, I think my grandmother was pointing to the power of righteousness in the Christian journey and how we try to live our lives as a blessing. There were quite a number of strangers who shared meals at my grandmother and my grandfather's table. And I probably should be really specific here. There were quite a number of strange people that shared meals at our table. And as I reflect a little bit on that journey, and as Rhoda and I raise our four children in the way of Jesus, I'm embarrassed sometimes at the lack of strangeness that happens at our table outside of my presence I remember hearing this when I was young and my grandmother talked about being a blessing. And somebody, and I, and I can't remember if it was an uncle, an aunt, or a cousin, somebody had said that Edith and Austin's house was marked. I thought, what does that mean? I I, I don't know how this, is, how this was in practice in, in our community, but there was some way, um, I don't think there weren't shoes thrown up on the, up on the electrical cords in front of our, or their home, um, but there was a way that people knew that were passing through our community that they knew that that was a safe place to ask for a meal or to ask for help. I'd love to be able to ask a little bit more specifically, but I haven't been able to get a good answer about what that marking was, but there was a reputation There was a reputation at 716 East 6th Street, Marysville, Ohio, that said this was a place where you can come. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are a human being, you're going to eat a meal. There was always sliced cheese. There was always fresh bread. There was always applesauce that was canned. I don't know when it was canned. There was always there was always substance there, but what I remember most was that there was a depth of fellowship that I longed for because I, I, I have seen and remember that Jesus was there. And they were strange people. They were strange people. I don't think they got invited to a lot of places, but they got to eat at my grandmother's table. Being a blessing and living righteously in our daily lives will draw us into relationships with those who have less than we do. It will draw us into relationships with those who are strange and those who are struggling. Yet they too are also true representatives of Jesus' countless blessings as well. To welcome the stranger and to take a table break and if, if, if we can see ourselves there participating in, in just mundane meals, right? That meal that, that Jesus remembers, where people were trying to jostle for positions, and, and everywhere that you sat, instead of the symbolic nature of, hey, we all need to be fed, and we all need the blessings. And let's make sure that those who need it the most get the center of attention. Jesus is looking at that and saying, I want to change these ordinary meals into something that reflects my kingdom. The welcome of the stranger and the table break down the barriers at the borders to human community. And they overcome the constrictive exclusions of fear and loathing in the world. My prayer for the church today is that we would attempt to heal these broken relationships in this broken world by following the teachings of Jesus and radically loving and sharing meals with our neighbors. And at the end of the day, the world will be either a more or less kind, compassionate, and loving place because of our desire to practice that kind of presence. Let's make the right moves and truly be a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for this group. Thank you for the expression of faith here in this community. Affirming, God, that they continue to express this community and blessing where they are. We ask, God, that you would continue to build them up and strengthen them. We thank you for what we share in Christ. We thank you for what we share in our desire to continue to raise students that live in our communities but know that they are citizens of your kingdom. We pray that we not grow weary in doing good, that we not grow faint in trying to bring about healing one meal at a time. May we practice compassionate fellowship and healing at the mundane meals that we find ourselves in. With grace we pray upon us and through us in Jesus' name.